0: Welcome to Sunday Morning Live Fellowship. You are listening to our live Sunday morning service. Now turn with me please to Matthew chapter 1 verses 3 through 5 and verse 16. Matthew chapter 1 Verses 3 through 5 and verse 16. While you're finding our passage, let me just say this. This world that we live in is so broken. This reality was regrettably exhibited in many of our upbringings. From childhood where we were raised in dysfunctional homes where parents Burdened, little children's shoulders with responsibilities that were far beyond their capacity to bear. Some young boys are taught by older men that women are only objects to be used for pleasure. And some young girls are taught by older women that all men are dogs and to be disrespected. Family members abuse and manipulate children physically, verbally, and emotionally. The very person supposedly to protect us, instead ignore and harm us. Trust is fundamentally fractured and we scramble to cope. Many times alone, parents are fighting Violently, fathers and mothers abandon one another. Parents die. Children are blamed for circumstances that were never their fault. And growing up like this, we become a sponge. A sponge for shame and disgust, absorbing every last insult and punch. And finally, in our mind, we become defined by the very shame that covers us. Beloved, these heartbreaking realities continue to exist in homes to this day. And because of our background, we often feel like we are damaged goods. We find it difficult to act according to the standard societal script. We didn't get the right upbringing. We didn't attend the right school. We didn't have a chance to develop the correct life skills or manners. So when you hear passages from the Bible Instead of being strengthened, you are left feeling insecure. All the while, Satan whispers to you that salvation means the right family, the right status, the right background. Now let's turn to our scripture. Matthew chapter 1 verses 3 through 5. And verse 16. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Let us pray. God, we we thank you that we do not earn our salvation based upon our behavior. It is not about what we do. And even about what we don't do. But it's about what you have done. How you died in our place. You paid securely for our redemption. No matter what our past was. No matter what our sins were. And we live in the salvation of your son. The righteousness covered by the blood of your son Jesus Christ, and that's how we approach you boldly right now, thanking you in all boldness because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you for Sunday morning. Thank you for resurrection. Thank you that Friday (coughs) is not the end of the story. Now, God, we pray for your servant. Oh, God, we are nothing in your sight. But because you see us through Jesus, because we are being formed in the image of your son, based upon the different trials and tribulations that we go through with joy, we know that you are forming Jesus in us. God, we pray that your anointing would come. Father that it would be all of you and none of me. Oh God that we would sit down and you stand up. That you would have your way. Bless everyone Within the sound of my voice, we pray, oh God, for those names that we called out that are desperately in need of prayer. Work a miracle. It is not time to give up, but it is time to stand. Hold us, oh God. If you don't hold us, all will be destroyed in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 16b, Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. I would like to use for a topic this morning, what a disgrace. Woo. What a disgrace. There is a strange thread that runs through the most prominent women associated with Jesus. They are all women of, shall we say, ill repute. Most of their notorious reputations spring from sexual scandals. Usually... Women are not even mentioned in a genealogy. So what makes these women worth mentioning? And why are they treasured in this listed genealogy? What makes them as valuable as any man that is mentioned? That's precisely what Matthew wants us to ask. Let's take a look at these women. The first mentioned is Tamar in verse 3. Tamar is the sort of relative most of us wouldn't mention when sharing who we're related to. We would leave Tamar out. Her story is found in the 38th chapter of Genesis. She entered the messianic bloodline by disguising herself as a prostitute and seducing her father-in-law, Judah. The scene and story is complicated. Given the times and culture, she acted more righteously than Judah did, since Judah had treated her unjustly, and she had little resources. Still, there's no denying what Tamar did, what Judah did was a disgrace, then we have Rahab in the family line of Jesus. Rahab didn't have to disguise herself as a prostitute. she already was a prostitute mama, my, my, my. she was a prostitute, she was not Jewish, and she was a canaanite canaanite, no less. She was not raised from a desired pedigree. She and her family were the only survivors of Israel's conquest of Jericho. Once integrated into Israel, in other words, Rahab became a part of the nation of Israel. She married Salmon and became King David's great-great-grandmother. So how did Rahab manage to become Jesus' great-great-great-great and another 24 greats grandmother she, This is what happened. She hid the Jewish military spies and helped them escape. So Joshua spared her and her family's life, which resulted in the genealogical appearance of Ruth. The third woman in our list, Ruth, wasn't personally embroiled in a sexual scandal, but she came from a people who were. Ruth was a Moabite, a nation which had sprung from the incest between Lot and his oldest Daughter, Y'all don't believe me? It's in Genesis chapter 19, verses 30 through 38. Yeah, it's in the Bible. And though Moabites were related to the Israelites, so to speak, they were enemies because Moab had opposed Israel's advance toward Canaan and Moabites were not known to worship Yahweh. They were polytheistic pagans, even practicing human sacrifice. As a result, God prohibited the Jews from intermingling and intermarrying with the Moabites unless the Moabites denounced everything it meant to be a Moabite and embraced everything it meant to be a Jew. So the fact that one of the canalic, one of the books in the Bible in the Old Testament is named after a Moabite woman by the name of Ruth is a miracle of God's grace that has taken place. As we continue with the story of Ruth, the Israelite Boaz, saw something very dear in this woman called Ruth. She had left her family, left her nation, left her gods to embrace her mother-in-law's nation, Naomi, and her mother-in-law's God. Boaz married Ruth. He was an Israelite. Their union produced a son named Obed, who had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David. And David became the greatest king that Israel ever had. And from David's lineage produced our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The fourth woman mentioned in this list, it don't even say her name. It calls her the wife of Uriah. We know her, yeah, we know her as Bathsheba. The woman, Israel's greatest king couldn't, or shall we say, wouldn't keep his hands off. The account in 2 Samuel 11 doesn't tell us Bathsheba's side of this adulterous story. But given the fact that David wielded nearly absolute power as king, this was multi-level abuse, plain and simple. But its results was anything but simple. This single immoral act produced a cascading sequence of tragic events. Bathsheba became pregnant. Her husband was murdered in a covered up cover up. David brought up on himself and his entire household a curse that resulted in horrifying suffering for many, many years, particularly for Bathsheba. And yet, there she is in Jesus' lineage. She became the mother of Solomon. And finally, not finally, but in these groups that are in this genealogy, we have Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Though we know and believe Mary was a virgin, she became pregnant because she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And she gave birth to the very Son of God as a virgin. But from a societal perception, Mary got pregnant before she was married. And Joseph was not the daddy of the baby. This scandal would have lingered like a cloud of people whispering and being suspicious probably the rest of her life. But I want to mention two more women that are not in this genealogy, who are not in Jesus' bloodline, but figured a, pr- a prominent place in Jesus' ministry and are worth mentioning. Both of their reputations made them, by human standpoints, Unlikely candidates to be used by Jesus, but yet and still these two women were represented too first in Jesus' ministry. One was in Saint John chapter four, where Jesus encountered a Samaritan woman from Sychar at midday at Jacob's well. Mm. Like Rahab and Ruth, this woman was not Jewish. She was a Samaritan. And like Tamar and Rahab and Bathsheba, this woman had known a lot of men. Five husbands and the one that she was living with was not her husband. They were Shaqeem. And yet in John's Gospel, This woman is the first person to whom Jesus explicitly discloses himself as the Messiah. The first person, this woman, hallelujah. And then there's Mary Magdalene. The Bible tells us very little about Mary's background other than seven demons were cast out of her and that she was present at Jesus' crucifixion. She was there when Jesus was buried and she saw the resurrected Christ. However, history is tended to remember Mary as a prostitute. Yet Mary Magdalene was the first person Jesus appeared to after being raised from the dead. The first person Jesus did not appear to his mother, he did not appear to Peter. He formally appeared to this demonized woman. What a disgrace! Why Mary Magdalene? Why the woman at the well? Why an unwed Mary from Nazarene? Why Bathsheba? Why Ruth? Why Rahab? Why Tamar? Why did God choose to make these women all of ill repute to be so prominent in redemptive history? All five of these women share something in common. Disgrace. Disgrace. These women either committed or suffered disgrace. They had tainted reputations. They likely would have endured the contempt of others. And at least the first four would have struggled with very painful Memories regarding their past. But yet Jesus is unashamed to have women of questionable repute in his family. Genealogical line. In fact, Matthew goes out of his way to point this out. That's the point, beloved. God loves to redeem sinners. He loves to produce something beautiful out of the worst family backgrounds. He loves to make foreigners his children. He loves to reconcile his enemies. He loves to make all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Each of these women entered redemptive history during the old covenant but no longer does god see them as a disgrace but god sees them as full of grace or grace full god changed their identities Instead of being women of irrepute, he made them ancestors or disciples of the Messiah. They are an archetype of what God does for all of his children. God is saying loudly through each of these women, what a disgrace, beloved. Do you keep visiting the shame of your past? Does your pride move you to hide under the shame of your past mistakes and to hide under our shame is not wrong because we need to hide, but we need to hide in the right place. We need to hide under the very grace of God and God is shouting loud and clear That yes, you were a disgrace. But because of redemption, you no longer need to fear. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it is the only remedy for our shame. It is the only remedy for our sin and our failure. There is nowhere else to go but the atonement of Jesus Christ and we hide under the very grace of God grace flows from the promises of God and through faith Faith is all sufficient for my shameful weaknesses. Faith gives us the power to break the pride filled shame. Don't allow your shame to be greater than the grace of God. God's grace is more greater than any sin that you can commit. His grace abounds greater than our sin. His grace is sufficient in my weakness. His grace gives me all the righteousness that I will ever need. His grace is a provision for all the power that I will ever need. So that's what happened to the women at the well. Our sin-wrecked life was redeemed, and her shame was destroyed. That's what happened to King David. He confessed his sins and repented and trusted in the pre-incarnate Christ. His guilt and shame was removed and the, the righteousness of Christ was imputed unto him as righteousness. That's what happened. The old things were passed away and behold, all things were made new. I don't care how much of a notorious sinner you were. The old has passed away, and we now have become part of redemptive history. Redemptive history. That's the history that Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba, Embraced and Mary Magna- Magdalene and the woman at the well. You are saying what is. Redemptive history Redemptive history means that everything that has happened, God was sovereign. Wait a minute. Somebody just beat my child. What do you mean that that's part of redemptive history? We have got to trust that God is in control and that God is going to make all things right. that God is going to change it into good. Even our jaded past, even those sins that still afflict us with shame. Redemptive history is what God loves to do. He loves to redeem history. We love to condemn one another. We love to point out one another's sins. We love to magnify what another person has done wrong. But redemptive history says my grace is sufficient. My grace is greater than your sin. And everything that happened is now covered by the history of my son, Jesus Christ. His history Has become my history. Can I get prideful? Can I stick my chest out? Can I be proud because I've kept most of the rules? All of my righteousness is as filthy rags and I embrace the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So where does that leave me now? Praise God. For his grace. Worship God. For his grace is not about what I do and don't do. It is all the Lord of grace. I have joy because of the grace of God. Let grace be grace. We are no longer living under the shame of our disgrace. And wherever you are right now, know that God is embracing you. Stop asking God if you have made a mistake and just praise God for his grace. Stop asking God if I had done this and done that differently. Grace was in every line of his story, of your story. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let grace be grace. And that is the reason that we praise him today because of his goodness. I'm not looking in the rearview mirror, I'm not looking back at my regrets. I'm drowning out the accusations that others have against me and love to bring up. And I'm padding every line of my story. And my story is about as bad as the women we brought up today. I'm lining every part of my story with the grace of God. Hallelujah. If you have not received Jesus Christ... As your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to do so now. Will you receive him? If so, pray this simple prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I have lived my life without you, waiting to get myself together, waiting for me to bring about my own redemption. Beloved, you can never Please, God, on your own works. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I have lived my life only for myself. I have lived my life as a sinner. And I now admit my sinful lifestyle and invite you to become Lord of my life. I accept your death burial, and resurrection, and from this day forward, choose to live my life in a way that pleases you. I ask you to forgive me. I know that you died on the cross for me to save me. You did what I could not do for myself. I come to you now and ask you to take control of my life. I give it to you from this day forward. Help me to live every day in a way that pleases you. If you pray that simple prayer with me, please feel free to contact me at 231-349-1046 so we can discuss with you the first steps of salvation. God bless you.